0: and we'll give uh, people a bit longer to come in. Thank you for coming. Um, In the interest of time, though, because people will be uh, coming in for the morning worship service at 1030, so I want to go ahead and get started. So let me pray for us and then we'll begin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for life. We thank you that you are the God of all creation, that you have made us for your glory and you have called us for your work. We pray that uh, this morning, as we share about Woodlands Gathering, uh, this church plant in Saudi Daisy, that your Holy Spirit would be with us, would illuminate our hearts, our mind, would set us on fire for a passion of heaven, and give us a burden for those who do not know you as their God and King. Be with us, we pray, in Christ's name, amen. All right, well, again, thank you for coming, thank you for your interest in hearing more about Uh, this church plant and uh, what I have done, what we have done is anticipated a few of the questions that you might have and also interacted with questions that we've received over the last few weeks and put it together in a presentation to try to answer those questions and also probably uh, answer questions maybe that you've not thought of, questions that you have not asked yet. Uh, so, there will be a, a roughly a 40-minute presentation, and then I really want to preserve a good 20 minutes at the end for questions and dialogue and discussion, and I have a handheld mic up here that we'll use for that purpose. Uh, so, if you don't mind, uh, let's hold all your questions until that, until that time, and then, uh, then we'll interact and entertain your questions. But first, uh, let's uh, go ahead and, and start answering some of the obvious questions. So, uh, the first question, Why church plant? There are multiple reasons why you should church plant or consider church planting. Uh, Tim Keller, who is not a stranger to many, most of you probably have heard of him or are very familiar with him, uh, said this, and I just want to read a quote because I think it's inspiring and um, helpful. He said, The vigorous continual planting of new congregations is the single most crucial strategy for one the numeric growth of the body of Christ in any city, and two, the continual corporate renewal and revival of the existing churches in a city. He goes on to make a rather bold statement. He says, nothing else, not crusades, outreach programs, parachurch ministries, growing megachurches, congregational consulting, uh, nor church renewal processes will have the consistent impact of dynamic, extensive church planting. So, end quote. That's what Tim Keller had to say about church planting, and we can uh, discuss that comment later. But really, the main reason—in fact, the only reason—in my mind to church plant is Christ is worthy. If we look at the Bible, Revelation chapter seven, verses nine through ten, uh, John the Revelator said this. He said, "After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number." from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So really the only reason that anyone should ever consider church planting is because Christ is worthy. Christ has died, he rose again, And he has died and rose again for those uh, whom the Father has given to him. And so whenever you think of of church planting, really that's the the fundamental motivation. All the other characteristics that we're going to talk about today aside, the primary motivation for why you should plant is because Christ is worthy. Christ suffered and died, and so he is worthy to receive the reward of his sufferings. So that's a, a brief answer to the question, why church plant? both in general as answered by Tim Keller and also specifically uh, as we see in scripture. Now, the the next question, why Native Americans? There are more than four million Native Americans in North America. Now, this includes people who are part of both state and federally recognized tribes, so more than four million people who identify uh, as Native Americans. 95% that's 3.8 million of those four million profess not to be a Christian. This makes Native Americans, and we talk about unreached people groups all the time. We talk about unreached people groups in the far corners of the world who've never heard the gospel, people groups maybe a bit near who have heard a gospel but not the true gospel. But when you think of an unreached people group, This makes the Native American population in this country the largest unreached people group in our country. After more than 500 years of missionary endeavors, the Native American population is more properly identified, not as unreached, but rather as misreached. We see this historically, that all the way back to the 17th century, uh, attempts were made to um, convert Native people. Many of them were successful. However, somewhere along the way, there has become a path of trauma and a path of misrepresentation when it comes to the truth of who Christ is and the truth of the gospel, and so natives remain by and large a misreached people. Uh, In the U.S. alone, there are more than 500 different federally and state-recognized tribes, and if you know anything about tribal sovereignty, which probably a few of you do, but a few of you might, but tribal sovereignty, each tribe is a distinct nation. They are a sovereign nation. And so going back to what we read earlier in Revelation 7 verses nine through 10, when John says, I saw every tribe, nation, kingdom and tongue, what he's speaking, what he's describing there is not just the nations that immediately come to mind, maybe the one that we're a part of or our own ethnic background, but he also sees members of these 500 tribes. And so, I want you to keep two numbers in your mind. One, four million, and then two, 3.8 million, the number of natives who profess not to have faith in Christ. Uh, And ultimately, and I've had this question posed often, um, why Saudi Daisy, why Chattanooga? We didn't know there were that many natives uh, living here. And I will say that I think oftentimes, and this is no uh, fault of, of any of us, but, Uh, Oftentimes people have the expectation of what a Native American looks like or should look like that is primarily shaped by popular culture, perhaps television or uh, some other interaction that we've had in the past, instead of reality. In fact, natives are considered to be the largest invisible minority in this country. But ultimately, numbers do not drive mission. If we look at the gospel, what drives mission is an awareness of the gospel. The criteria was never placed on the apostle Paul to go to the place where there were the most people and share the gospel. Instead, the great commission is to go into all the world and make disciples of all men, women, boys and girls. And so ultimately, the gospel compels us to seek out and to find those people in our midst who are invisible, who are marginalized, who are overlooked, and to seek them with the truth of the gospel. So that's why natives, Next question, why Saudi Daisy? So, you know, Saudi Daisy is one of the smaller municipalities in Hamilton County. Um, Many of you, perhaps a few of you, live in Saudi Daisy and you say, well, look, I've never run into a Native American that I know of in Saudi Daisy. Um, So, why Saudi Daisy? Well, there are at least three reasons that I want to talk to you about. First, there's no reformed presence in Saudi Daisy proper, in Saudi Daisy itself. Uh, Second, believe it or not, the highest concentration of Native Americans per population in Hamilton County resides in Saudi Daisy. But then third, our geographic area, the area that we are focusing on, is Hamilton and Sequatchie Counties. And so Saudi Daisy, the 27111 corridor, is strategically located to offer quick access for people who are coming from both counties, both Sequatchie County as well as Hamilton County. So that's why Saudi daisy Okay, so let me go uh, to another question. And I'm, for this, I'm going to, uh, well, I'll just ask my wife if, if she'll stand and kind of interact with me uh, spontaneously. Um, but uh, so the next question. Yeah, she, I want her to come up here, but she doesn't want to come up here. So anyway, um, the next question, why Greg and Trisha for this ministry, for this call, and why now? Why us and why now? Why do we think that we are called of God to do this work? Uh, Well first, let me just say that we have a heart, we've always had a heart, the two of of us, as long as we've known each other, for the marginalized, for the invisible, and for the overlooked. And I would argue that's really the heart of Christ. If you look at the gospels, those are exactly the people that he went after. The overlooked, the marginalized, and the outcast. Uh, Secondly, We have a burning desire to see revival happen in Native America. Native America has been referred to as a sleeping giant. Native people in general are very spiritual people. If you know any Native person, you know this. Uh, So what we pray for and what we long for is for a revival to take place among Native America. And I would hope, and this is my own musings, the Bible doesn't say this, but uh, I would hope that God would use this minority population to bring a revival to this country. How characteristic of God to use those who are overlooked, those who are invisible in order to accomplish something great for his kingdom. So we have a heart, a burning desire uh, to see revival uh, among Native America. Third, we're passionate about racial reconciliation. Now that's a very sexy term. It's a term that's thrown around a lot in our circles in PCA circles in the reform circles in the evangelical community but it's a term that we feel like often does lip service and doesn't really require us to put our money where our mouth is. And if you're familiar with the PCA governance, you know that two years ago during General Assembly, there was an overture that was circulated on the floor of General Assembly, uh, issuing a public apology for the roles that some churches in the South played during the Civil Rights Movement, negative roles that were played during the Civil Rights Movement. an apology, repentance is more than simply words on a page. Repentance, biblical repentance, is a change of action, a 180 degree turn so that we reject what has been done in the past and we seek to be agents of healing and redemption and recovery for the future. However, if you look at all the conversations that take place around racial reconciliation, the seat that is missing from the table are Native Americans. We like to talk about Re- uh, reconciliation between whites and blacks, Hispanics, etc. that's very important. But we're very passionate to see the church include Native Americans uh, in that discussion. Fourth, uh, we long to see, uh, and I'm reading notes here because, oh, there we go. Um, so fourth, we long to see a revival among Native Americans. Second, which I could not read on my paper, Uh, We have a burning desire to see men and women embrace Christ, okay? This is fundamental. Regardless of who you are, what your ethnicity, what your background, Tricia and I have a burning desire to see native people, uh, or to see people, rather, embrace Christ. Uh, and then fifth, the PCA currently has one church. Now think about this. Of all the churches in the PCA, there's only one church, and it's actually planted by a good friend of mine who is a groomsman in our wedding out in Billings, Montana, that is intentional about reaching Native Americans. One church. Uh, so when we heard this, and there really is very little being done both in the PCA as well as in the evangelical world in general uh, to reach native people with the gospel uh, in a way that equalizes and empowers natives okay it's one thing to convince a native person that in order to become a Christian they have to cease to be Indian and, and that has historically been the mode of operating for the church in the past uh, but it's a different thing to say no John saw this multitude that no man can number stand before the throne of God and guess what They maintained their ethnic distinctives, distinctions. They maintained the fact that they were uniquely created as an image bearer of God from every tribe, nation, people, and tongue. And so, uh, whenever we heard this, there's only one church that's intentional about reaching Native people that makes that part of their mission. Uh, We did not just say, wow. Instead, we felt an overwhelming desire and call to go. And then finally, we found ourselves asking, if not us, who? And if not now, then when? So what are some of the unique ways that God has equipped us for this call? And many of these, probably most of these, are gonna surprise you because you don't know them about either me or Trisha. but I'm gonna let her go first.
1: So this handsome, blue-eyed, red man is quarter Cherokee, he is um, of both um, Cherokee and Choctaw descent. Um, Greg conducted extensive research into Native American policy when he was obtaining his MPA at Mizzou in Missouri. Um, He was an intern with the Western Cherokee Nation um, while an MPA student. And Greg's great uncle was also a tribal council member for the Western Cherokee Nation. Um, Greg has extensive experience within the Native American community, especially during his time at Mizzou, who's really immersed um, in the cultures, was was invited alongside um, uh, tribes, immersed into some of their um, sacred ceremonies, and in that time, Greg really saw the disconnect between um, their beliefs and the church. Um, and Greg's also the Southeast Director for Four Directions Ministry Council for m and So Mission to North America has their Native American ministries and then out of that is Four Directions, um, which is how to reach people for um, Native Americans. Also as his wife, um, this has always been a passion of Greg's. Um, on the bedside table, um, for as long as we've been married, there's some book about reaching Natives. Um, it's something that he's always watching documentaries. And um, there's so many things that he's teaching on. And relationally, this is just one of those things that hasn't been able to um, come to the forefront as much. But it, with us, it's always been there and been active. So
0: So that's briefly uh, the ways that God has uniquely been working in my own life in order to, uh, I think, equip us for this call. Now, Tricia, my darling, has been... Uh, immersed in foreign missions, many of you may not know this, but she spent um, uh, a, a, some extensive uh, time spanning several decades or a couple decades in at least 13 different countries. And so, in each of those countries, uh, she she had to um, uh, confront and successfully engage uh, multicultural uh, dynamics. She's worked for a nonprofit. Uh, which prioritized racial and cultural diversity. AmeriCorps, some of you may be familiar with it. Uh, she grew up attending uh, countless Native American cultural events and celebrations. If any of you are familiar with the powwow, uh, she grew up, her, her grandfather used to take her to the powwow, even though she has no, he has had no native heritage. Um, so, and for those of you, many of you perhaps have been to a powwow, which is a, a, a native cultural event, but uh, for those of you who've not, you know how exceptional it is for uh, someone to have been brought to one as a child, uh, not once or twice, but countless times. And then finally, Trisha has an education degree and a master's in Christian counseling. Uh, she's well uh, experienced in church leadership. She served in various roles in the past, um, active as director of children's ministry for a church plant in Florida. active as a director of women's ministry for Mitchell Road Presbyterian Church, where we came from, as well as serving in music ministry. So when you look back over the trajectory of our life, and this is one thing that both of us began talking about in earnest, I'd say uh, last year or so, uh, are the unique ways that God has been preparing us and equipping us so that when we come to the point where we say, who? Who will go? It was sort of a no-brainer. We felt that definitely God was calling us to go. So what is the vision? So far we've addressed the question, why church plant in general? Why church plant for a church that is intentional about reaching native people? Uh, Why church plant in Saudi Daisy? So what is the vision? Well, Woodlands Gathering, which you have heard me refer to a couple times, is the name of the church that we are hoping to plant, that we are working on planting. And Woodlands Gathering exists to see native people living in both Hamilton and Sequatchie counties, redeemed and empowered through the redemptive work of Christ. We seek to be a safe place for native people to encounter the good news of God. If you recall the parable of the Good Samaritan, you know that there were two men that came by the Good Samaritan initially and did not want to take the time to acknowledge the person who was hurting. They passed on by. The Samaritan not only acknowledged his pain and sought to do something about it, but took him to a safe place where recovery could could occur. And so Woodlands Gathering, uh, we envision it being this safe place where native people and all people can encounter the good news of God. We desire to be a community of believers that endeavor to understand and live out the historic Christian faith as people indigenous to North America. And and I just want to do an experiment for a second to illustrate a bit what I mean here. Uh, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to picture an African-American church. Some of you can. Some of you you know exactly what I'm talking about. Picture an African-American church. Picture a Latino American church. Picture a middle class white church or Anglo church. Picture a lower income, blue collar Anglo church. Now picture a Native American church. And I think you begin to understand the point. We seek to live simply and humbly with our fellow man as well as all of our relations. We believe that the power of the gospel And this is key. In fact, I would say this is probably our tagline. We believe the power of the gospel can truly recover the past, redeem the present, and restore the future. So that's the vision. A grandiose vision, a God-sized vision, yes, but it is the vision for Woodlands Gathering. So what is the mission? The mission flows out of the vision. This is what we want our church to look like. Ultimately, what is the mission? The mission is simple, to share the hope, with native people through the power of the gospel, to share hope with native people through the power of the gospel. We plan to do this by allowing scripture to define how we relate to God, each other, and the world around us. So a threefold aspect, three missional objectives of that mission are uh, allowing scripture, the word of God, the central authority in the life of a believer to define how we relate to God, we cannot approach them in any way that we think we, uh, we, we, we choose, how we relate to each other, and how we relate to the world around us. So what are, are some of the core values of Woodlands Gathering? There are four. Four is a significant number for uh, many people, significant number in Native culture, the four directions, um, But there are four core values for uh, Woodlands Gathering. One, the authority of the Bible as the word of God. Sola Scriptura. Two, the reformed faith. We believe the Westminster Confession is the most accurate interpretation of scripture. Three, spirit led. Now what do I mean by spirit led? Well, I'm I'm not intending to convey an image of Pentecostalism even though I'm a former Pentecostal. Uh, but rather spirit led can be summarized by Romans 8:11 and also by Galatians 5:16. Romans 8:11 says that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Not only is that referring to the ultimate resurrection of the body, it's also referring to our spiritual life now that we have been resurrected by the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And secondly, in Galatians 5.16, Paul says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not fulfill or gratify the desires of the flesh. And then the fourth value is indigenous community. We value the first nations of North America and the unique contribution that native culture can bring to the American expression of Christianity. If any of you have ever spent time in native American culture or have known someone who is a traditionalist, Uh, you, you begin to understand what I'm implying here. There are beautiful things about every culture because culture is ultimately an expression of our humanity and our humanity in essence is the fact that we are made in the image of God. We are all image bearers of God. And so there's something about every culture that reflects that truth. There are some cultures, I would argue, that reflect it a bit clearer than others, partly because of various philosophies you know, modernity and all that entails, and I don't have time to explain that, but uh, modernity and the industrial revolution and all the various issues that um, can taint our, uh, the, the relationship between God and man. But when it comes to native culture, if you are familiar with native culture, there are so many attributes of native culture that can be affirmed and that you can see the fingerprint of the image of God. So those are the four core values.
1: Can you speak to how the Reformed faith is a unique bridge to reaching Natives?
0: Yes, good question, darling. So the Reformed faith is a unique bridge when you compare the Reformed faith to Evangelical Christianity in general. The Reformed faith is a unique bridge uh, to the Native American world. One, because I believe it's biblically accurate, but two, because there is no such thing in Native American culture as a difference, a distinction between what is sec- sacred and what is secular. Uh, there, there are, there, in fact, in most indigenous languages, there's no distinction. Sacred and the secular are one, everything. In fact, this was misunderstood by many uh, white theologians who said, well, Indians are pantheists. They, they, they worship everything because Indians would refer to everything as having a spirit. But ultimately. Most native tribes, in fact, I will go so far as to say the majority of native tribes in the North American continent are monotheistic. See, one God, one creator. But there's no distinction between the spirit world and the physical world, and so everything is both physical and spiritual at the same time. Well, we know the whole sacred-secular split that is endemic within uh, the greater evangelical world that doesn't exist in the reformed faith. Uh, Also, the reformed faith is the only flavor of evangelicalism that says that God is redeeming all things, not just your spirit. That he didn't come just to die and save you from your sins, but he came to die to redeem all of creation. And that resonates with native people because ultimately uh, native people consider themselves people of this earth and that it's their responsibility to care and provide and take care of the earth. And we see that same message resonating, in fact, declared first and foremost in scripture. We see it in the Garden of Eden, we see it in the scope of Christ's redemptive work. So yes, the Reformed faith makes a great bridge to the Native American world, because what I believe to be the sincere, true teachings of the Bible, which are emphasis, distinctives of the Reformed faith, but not other brands of evangelicalism. Okay, um, so how does church planting work in the PCA? Well, there are four, there are multiple prerequisite steps because we Presbyterians like to do everything decently and in order. But there are four large stones, four large steps that had to be, uh, had to occur before we could stand before you today. The first is assessment. And those of you who, there's a couple people in the room that have done assessment for MTW. Uh, assessment for m and would never have done assessment for MTW, but I can say that assessment for m- M&A, and I don't mean to be vulgar, was more like a emotional colonoscopy. It was, uh, <laughs> it was an intensive, probably and probably the most intensive process that Tricia and I have ever been through, definitely together, but probably as individuals as well. A week-long, 12 hours per day uh, process where every decision you make is being scrutinized by a panel of people who have a poker face. And uh, at the end of that process, they can either say, you shouldn't even be thinking about church planting, uh, or they can say, we think the Lord is doing a work in your life and we recommend that you need to be church planting. And at the end of that process, um, Trisha and I went into the room where they were going to give us our fate, and they uh, look at us and they say, we are convinced that you should be, not in the future, but now, church planting. And uh, so that was the affirmation of, of the call that, that we felt in our own hearts. Secondly, the concept for Woodlands Gathering has to be approved by the Tennessee Valley Presbytery. Uh, Hickson and Prez, all the uh, PCA churches in the Chattanooga area are part of the Tennessee Valley Presbytery. And in order for a concept, church plant concept to be uh, to even budge beyond, I mean, M&A does, is not a sending body, so they do not send people to church plant. The presbytery sends people to church plant. So the presbytery has to hear your heart, hear your vision, and say, yes, we think this is God's work, and we want you to go plant this church. So that's happened. The concept was approved uh, by the Tennessee Valley Presbytery. Step three, the Tennessee Valley Presbytery uh, Committee of Church Planting, which is a subcommittee of the presbytery, fully endorsed Woodlands Gathering and its vision and mission. And they fully endor- endorsed us as the planting couple. And then fourth, Mission to North America, m a has created a mission church account for Woodlands Gathering. It's already been set up, uh, in the eyes of m a at least, it exists as a mission church. So, then you might ask, well what is the relationship between HPC, Hickson Prez, and Woodlands Gathering. Well, uh, let me just say a few things. One, that I would hope that all of us would see this as a work of the Lord, as a vision that is bigger than us. It's God's vision, it's not our vision. And you're a part of that. You're a part of that because I have had the privilege and honor of being your pastor for the last nearly five years now. One of your pastors. And so I, I think that's something that you can rejoice in and be proud of. However, there are a few logistic uh, uh, relationships that I, or, or logistics of the relationship, that I want to clarify. Uh, so HBC is not the mother church of Woodlands Gathering. Now there are basically three ways to plant a church. You can do what they call parachute church, which is a group of people from one church get up and go to another city, and they're all dropped in that, church. maybe they're from that city to begin with, or driving, commuting to another church, and that core group of people plant a church. The other way is to have a mother church that says, we have a vision to plant a church in such and such community, so we are going to send someone from our church, along with people from our church, to that community. That's called a mother-daughter church relationship. The third way to plant a church is what they call, um, a scratch plant. scratch plant is where a couple or an individual says we have a vision, we believe it's from God. Other people in those in that person's life say yes, we think it is too, and so they go out on their own and really they're not on their own, they're supported by a great team of prayer supporters and, and um, others who love and care for them. But ultimately they plant the church uh, unilaterally and so uh, that is the relationship of Woodlands Gathering. Woodlands Gathering is a scratch plant, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. So Woodlands Gathering is not a daughter church of Hickson and Prez. Hicks and Prez is not the mother church of Woodlands Gathering. Woodlands Gathering is a part of Mission to North America and is a church plant of the Tennessee Valley Presbytery. Woodlands Gathering is a mission church of TVP or the Tennessee Valley Presbytery. So uh, then that begs the question, well, what does the relationship between Woodlands Gathering and HBC look like? Well, first, uh, let me just say that HBC will not be responsible for the governance of Woodlands Gathering. I know that's a a question that I've been asked a couple times. Uh, So every church has a governing board or governing, in this case, a session. And the HBC session will not be responsible for the governance of Woodlands Gathering the temporary, what they call temporary or provisional session because until your church grows to the point to where you have men that God has either raised up from your midst or people that have joined the congregation who are uh, sound uh, biblical believers, you can't have elders from your church. Uh, so you require I mean no man is an island so you have to have governance and accountability so you a a provisional session temporary session is required and so the provisional session or temporary session for Woodlands Gathering will consist of ruling elders that are members of PCA churches throughout the Tennessee Valley Presbytery. Uh, Third uh, we are not asking anyone to come with us okay and uh, not not because we don't love you all. (coughs) We do but it's important to us that we recruit a team, a core team of people who are primarily Native. Why? Because it's easier for Natives to join a church where they see Native representation than it would be for them to join a church where there's predominantly Anglo representation. And vice versa, it would be easier for, it would be easier down the road for someone who's Anglo, because I I do want to point out here that we're not talking about exclusive Native American. Any church that's exclusive, one thing or the other, is not reflective of God's kingdom. You can be intentional without being exclusive. And so I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying, which is that we're exclusive. We're intentional, and that intentionality requires that we take certain specific steps, but we're not exclusive. We hope that, and this is very important, we hope and pray that HPC, that each one of you, will see this as something that you can get behind and that you can support us in prayer, in love, in checking with us, um, and just being there for us. We value, we covet your prayers. Historically speaking, uh, when church planters go out to plant, there's this nomenclature in the church planting world where all of a sudden they have this bullseye on them from the enemy. And I believe ultimately it's it's because what Tim Keller said is true. The enemy knows that one of the greatest threats to his kingdom, yes, is each of you sitting in this pew, but also when the church begins to multiply and plant other churches, and specifically churches that have the mission of reaching those who are not reached, then it can be a very isolating and very dangerous uh, endeavor. So please pray for us, please be with us, please stand shoulder to shoulder with us. So what are the next steps? I hope to remain on staff through December of 2020. Now some people, I think after two weeks ago whenever I made the initial announcement, some people thought, is he gonna be back next Sunday? Uh, God willing, I will be here through December of 2020 and I'll continue in my pastoral ministry here at HPC, uh, shepherding the flock, serving you all, part of the the staff and the pastoral team. During that period of time, we'll increasingly begin to build a core team of native believers, and also uh, raise financial support, and and let me just emphasize outside of HPC, and that's important to us for two reasons. One, uh, because we don't want to detract from the work that God is doing here, and there are great things not only happening, but also coming down the pike in the future. You know, this current building is the fruit of your giving, and no doubt, their phase two is just around the corner. But uh, but we will be raising financial support going to other churches in the presbytery and other churches in uh, churches that we have relationships with uh, throughout that 16 to 17 month period. All right, so. Next question, when? When will all this take place? Well, we hope to launch in January of 2021. God willing, that's our goal, that is our plan. So unless you have anything to say, darling, we'll open it up to questions.
1: Well, just what he said just a moment ago about um, the support we're asking from HPC. Um, the reason why the PCA makes the whole assessment process for church planters so difficult is because so many church plants fail. So many marriages fall apart. Um, just what Greg was saying about, about attacks on church plants, um, that it's, it's really hard, it's not an easy thing. We, we get that, we know that, but um, the Lord has called us out of this community of believers here at HPC, and we really actually mean please pray for us. Like, start it today. Please pray um, that the Lord would protect us um, and that we know that you're the family the Lord's called us out of, so he's given each of you a important role in this church plant, and that's to love and support us and pray for us. So we deeply mean that, um, that your support and prayer and re- relational support is very critical to our success as planters, so. Well,
0: Okay, um, at this time we're going to open it up for questions. I know there are probably several and I think I did okay with time. I gave us 20 minutes for questions. So what I'm going to do is ask Mr. Stephen if he will, to come take the mic and raise your hand. He'll come and and ask your question to the mic because we are recording it for those who couldn't be here and also so that people in the front can hear a question that's asked in the back. Have you selected a location yet in Saudi Daisy in that area? one, we would ideally like to be as close to the 27-111 corridor as possible, uh, which is, there, there are some empty tracts of land there. Uh, we're nowhere near the point of being able to make a decision like that. Uh, but our goal is to start out small so that we st- most likely will meet in people's houses until we grow to the point where we can no longer do so. Uh, but ideally we would, um, actually, you wanna, no. Um, th- there, is a, there is a site that we have our eye on that we think would be a perfect church uh, it's currently not a church, but um, I don't know that I'm free to speak because it's belonged by. It's currently owned by an entity. So anyway, we do have a site picked out that we're like, should God grow us in the next five years to the point where we're able to buy a building, we'd love to buy that building.
1: Or grow enough that we need a meeting place. Um, the building is owned by Hamilton County, and um, it's. Uh, As old school and so um, Hamilton County has been favorable and supportive of church plants in the past in terms of allowing um, church plants to rent property not during the week but on Sundays so um, we do have a a particular building that we're praying about um, but we're also very open of where the Lord might put us Um, we know of some other areas that are just past the 111 corridor as well so Hi Greg.
0: have a question. Um, I tend to think of um, Christ as kind of transcultural. I get this from Paul. He says there's no male nor female in Christ, no Jew nor Gentile, no slave nor free. So uh, my question is, suppose your church grows really large, but then it ends up 95 or 98 percent non-Native American. How would you address that? I mean, would you move out? and start something else so that you retain this cultural identity and then I'm interested to know what part of their cultural identity you want to preserve so you would retain that identity and not just be swallowed up by more and more people coming in that are just not Native American. Excellent question. Let me say two things. One, if we grow to be a church that is 95% non-native then we have failed at our mission. If we fail at our mission, Either we had compromised to the point that we prioritize something that is not what we feel is God's priority, or God had different plans. There's always the potential that we as humans make mistakes, right? Most often we do. We feel strongly that this mission is God's mission, strongly to the point that we will protect it. You see, I was once told by a church planter that the worst thing is not an empty seat in your church. The worst thing is a seat that is filled with someone who's going in the opposite direction. So, if we preserve our mission, we will not have a church that's 95% non-native. Now, it's highly likely that we'll not have a megachurch, and that's okay with me. But ultimately, it's about, do we believe this mission is from God, and will we seek to preserve it? and be intentional about seeing it come to fruition. And then secondly, as as we grow, you know, what aspects of native culture do we want to preserve? Well, I, I think that is a question that um, will be answered in time because I think it has to be answered in the context of indigenous believers deciding what aspects of their culture can be redeemed and what aspects cannot.
1: Well, also too, um, we have two sort of safeguards I mean we've thought a lot about your question so that's why when Greg said we're not trying to send a launch team we're trying to create a core team of natives that is part of why we're doing that Um, we are going to be very intentional over the next year developing relationships with um, natives and that's why Greg had said it's so important that our core team be native because we are trying to safeguard exactly Um, What you said and then also the temptation is to grow quickly um, So that you can be financially supported Um, That's a fear for a lot of church planners one of the ways that Greg and I um, Plan to address that is when when we prepared our budget We know we're going to be planting with an unreached people group um, In an area we know we're kind of doing something really difficult so one of the ways um, that we Um, have addressed that is Greg's plan is to also be bivocational at some point if we need to be. So he um, has extensive experience in the business world and he has a Master's of Public Administration. Um, He's a great writer, there's lots of other things that he can do um, as sort of a side job to help sustain the ministry so we don't have to feel compromised um, but that we can stay on course.
0: And let me go back and and touch on um, a native church because let me just say that any church that's also even if it's majority native, because that would be our vision, that it would be majority native, but not exclusively native. Uh, but any church that is majority native is going, to be <laughs> is going to be multicultural, because to be intertribal means that you are not going to give difference, even though the majority of the, the largest tribe represented in this area is the Cherokee people. Um, but in order to be intentionally intertribal, there, there are so many distinctions between the tribes that you're gonna ha- also have to be a multicultural church. And so um, if, if we walk in intentional about creating a multicultural dynamic, uh, then, then that will help set milestones so that, and barriers, for lack of a better word, so that we can protect and preserve the mission.
2: Have you given any thought to um, how much Native American ancestry someone has to have, be considered a Native American? Yes. there's a lot of mixed ancestry.
0: I, I would say the majority of the four million people in this country who are Native are mixed. And that's due just to the colonial nature of the United States. Um, it, it, and the majority, by the way, of Native people do not live on the reservation. The majority of Native people live in urban areas, even rural areas. Uh, we are just targeting those people who self-identify as Native. Where you know blood quantum <laughs> is kind of a, a sticking issue in Native con- in Indian country in general because Native Americans are the only people who have to justify their blood quantum. Uh, they're also the only people who are who, who are considered, you know, under the Department of the Interior along with all the other endangered species. Um, so, and I say that a bit <laughs> sarcastic. Um, <clears throat> so, but to your point, I think if you self-identify with Native uh, w- as being Native, then then you meet the criteria of the demographic we're trying to reach.
1: And if you're self-identifying as native, you're more than likely not a believer. Well, is what
0: according yeah. to statistics, right. right. And, and I will say the five tribes that previously occupied this area are a bit of exception because uh, the Baptist Church has made a lot of headway among the Muscogee Creek Nation as well as the Cherokee Nation. But um, you know, it, that, that percentage, 3.8 million, are those who, of their own profession, say they are not Christian.:
1: I think you've pretty much asked, I think you've answered this question, but um, are you primarily would the congregation primarily be made up of uh, any one nation or just all First Nation tribes?
0: Well, we are not going to say um, that you have to be you know we're not going to give difference or priority to one tribe over another. But what we would expect, just based on the demographic data of this area, is that the major- if we're successful at reaching natives in this area, the majority would either be Creek or Cherokee. And, and maybe this isn't a question you can a- answer right now, but like, where, where do you find people?
1: You know, where, is there, is there already question. like, um, uh, you know, cultural groups of folks who are, are, who are already you know, that you kind of are, can, can reach out to, or, yeah, where, we're
0: Excellent question, because Native Americans, unlike other minorities, do not all live in the same neighborhood. One reason why we threw our net large, to include both Sequatchie County and Hamilton County, is because their, their Native people are spread out throughout the counties. Um, another reason that we chose the name Woodlands Gathering is Native people, Part of Native culture is the expectation that you're not going to live right next to your neighbor. The community, the ethnic community that we reach are familiar with the term gathering. If there's a gathering, that's, that's how the powwow started. A powwow was a gathering for Native people when it was illegal to gather if you were Native. So they, they started the powwow, which was an opportunity to dance for the white man. Um, and I say that, but they, in essence, that, that preserved their culture, and it was the reason that the powwows began, one reason. Um, so a gathering, if you make inroads in the community, and you say, hey, this is a Native gathering. We want to get together. There's going to be food. There's going to be worship. There's, you know, there's going to be family. Uh, that communicates something to Native people. Now, how do you make those inroads, which was, I think, the other part of your question, um, over the last year, I've become a member of the Friends of Red Clay, uh, part of the Tennessee chapter of the 12 Tears Association, uh, really getting into, um, actively involved in the Cherokee Cultural Celebration that a couple of you attended a couple weekends ago out at Red Clay State Park, um, also the Powwow. We hope to have a, a table this year at the Red Clay Powwow. If you look throughout the Tennessee, this region alone within a 30 to 45 minute drive of Chattanooga or of Hickson, there's gonna be five different powwows over the next three months. Great opportunities. And we're gonna be present, God willing, at every one. Great opportunities to get uh, acquainted with Native people and and to to build those relationships.
1: Um, Another thing is there's so much going on right now in Indian culture that creates um, a platform for discussion. So, um, as Greg was saying, there's many people, many natives are separate, and there's not like this one thing that's bringing them together except for cultural events like powwows. So, one of our desires is to create a, a space to discuss what's going on in Indian Nation in general, like Talking circles, a, a, a place to gather and come together, and there really isn't anything like that in Hamilton County other than cultural events. There's nothing for natives that says, "Hey, if you identify as native, let's come and talk about this particular uh, political issue that's that's affecting Indian Nation right now." So our desire is to create a space um, for those conversations that happen, and and then hopefully a community can build.
0: And if one of the characteristics of your culture, and this is you know, an aspect of native culture that can be affirmed. If one of the characteristics of your culture is the desire to gather, all of us as Christians know what more unifying force on this planet than the colony of heaven, the church, a place where we can gather, maintain our our cultural distinctives, our cultural distinctions, and also be united with people who are culturally different from us.
2: This is more an observation than a question, but as you gave your personal histories, your education, your experience it's pretty obvious that god has prepared you for this mission and uh, personally i just applaud you for hearing his direction and I, I just feel so confident that you will be successful because he got you ready to be successful and uh, we thank you for bringing this to us today this is it's this is a great outreach and uh, we will support you. Thank you, brother.
1: One of the unique things, just even when we think about success for the church plant, when we went through, um, when we went through assessment, one of the things we realized we were sitting in a room full of church planters wanting to reach the lost in our nation. Almost none of them knew anything about Native Americans at all, and. Um, one of the things I said to Greg is, d- during the course of the week people began to kind of gravitate towards the populations the Native American populations in their area that they're wanting to plant in one particular guy was planting a church directly outside of Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Oklahoma which is right by
0: the, in the backyard of the Creek Muskogee Nation
1: right and he's like it didn't occur to me that I could be reaching Native Americans and I told Greg like if all we do is create an awareness for people to for the invisible to be seen for for people to when they engage with Native Americans if they take the opportunity to build a relationship with them just even building the awareness that there are natives and they're not believers that to me is such a success right there just even building the awareness within our denomination and the Christian world. Just three
2: hours. Quick questions. One, do the chiefs of the nations uh, know that you're trying to plant a church within their nation? Uh, Uh, Do they know what? I'm sorry. Do they know know of this church planting? Are they supportive? What is their reaction? Number two is, uh, is there a unique language, and are the scriptures available in that language? And the third one. Do you think there may be a conflict between your time commitment to HBC and,
0: and this and never? Okay, all good questions. First question. Um,
1: do they know we're coming? Do they know <laughs> we're
0: coming? Yes, uh, uh, some do, not many. Now, unfortunately, the way that Indian country has functioned over the last 150 years is the elected chiefs, um, no longer serve the type of role that they did historically. And that's partly because of American government's policy of, of assimilation among native, of na- native tribes. So do the chiefs know? No, that, that wouldn't, in native country that would not be something you would attempt, that you would need to do. Um, <clears throat> do natives in this area know? Yes, as many as we have an opportunity to talk with is their support. Well, um, ultimately, when they hear the story, and our first talking circle is going to be in October, so we'll uh, keep you abreast of that, but when they hear the story, that what we're doing is not trying to make them less Indian, okay? That may have been the missionary endeavor at one time. In fact, in the early 1920s under Carlisle, some of you know where I'm going with this, the missionary, the epitaph of Christian outreach to native people was kill the Indian and save the man because it was assumed that unless a Native American also adopted uh, many of the traditions and customs of the greater Anglo world, that they were not going to, that they were not saved, that they were not Christian. So what we, are, we are not promoting that gospel. That's not the gospel. We are promoting a gospel that Jesus Christ died so that before the throne of God, every, a representative of every nation, tribe, people, and tongue could stand and bring the distinct characteristics of their culture as a worshipful sacrifice before heaven. So what we're going to do is make a safe place for Native people to come and be Indian and Christian at the same time. Okay, second question um, was, there, there are, um, you know, one of my, uh, one thing I'm also a member of is, the, is an acronym, Fonac, Fellowship of Native American Christians, uh, which is heavily represented by some a few Baptist Indian churches in Oklahoma. Um, the, the Cherokee had some of the scripture translated into the Cherokee tongue. Uh, the number of people who actually speak Cherokee as a first language is significantly few. So the, the importance of that is not as great as what it may seem. Uh, then the third question, and I'm, I apologize, I'm, I'm taking these quickly. The third question, uh, in my own heart, I don't believe that um, I have created a proposal that I've shared with the session, to ensure that as we move forward with church planting, that it is a complementary ministry endeavor of HBC and not one that HBC will suffer. Ultimately, it's up to you all and the leadership to determine if if I'm successful, Um, but that's my intention.
2: Um, first, I'm very excited for you guys, and then also, I know your kids are young, but I'm sure you talk about this a lot with them. I just was curious what their response is to this new adventure that your family is going to go on.
1: Um, I, they feel excited. It's, um, being among Natives is something that they've always done, um, they've always gone to powwows, they've always been around. Um, the history lessons and the whatever, so that doesn't seem strange to them, so that won't feel culturally weird to them to all of a sudden be going to powwows and that kind of thing. Um, They, in terms of like what do they understand, I don't know that they understand like we won't be showing up here. There will be a Sunday where we won't be here at some point. I don't think that they quite get that part, but um, they do feel burdened that natives, that most natives are not believers. Um, they do have missional hearts, all three of them. Um, and I feel like um, they're excited and that's all they know right now. I know they're gonna face challenges too. So again, be our friends and pray for them. So.
0: Okay, we have time for about one more question. Yes, Jeff. Are there any uh, reservations in Hamilton or County? No. Closest reservation is Cherokee, North Carolina. All right, thank you all for coming. Thank you all for your attention. It's 10:30, so let me pray and let me also just put a plug in real quick and say that next Sunday there are t- three new Sunday schools starting. There's the um, Sunday school on the Holy Spirit, which is a precept study, which will be led by Rick Purdy. There's the Sunday school on uh, the um, uh, General Epistles and Philemon, which will be led by both me and Stephen Edging, and then there is, um, well, there's a Women's Sunday School coming up later in the year, but you'll, you can read more about that in the bulletin.
1: Also, we are still here, so we're available for questions, so as time goes on, if there's more that you want to know, um, just ask us, we're here to answer those questions. Yeah.
2: A couple of comments, and I'll pray <coughs> pray for them this morning. Uh, one, it is uh, surprising once you, you find out uh, that, that Greg has been immersed in Native American culture most of his life, and he's a walking encyclopedia uh, of, of both facts and history, but also of culture and involvement, and it uh, just flows out of him in a, quite a natural way, um, <clears throat> which really surprised me when I first experienced it. So so there's that. Um <laughs> And while they are raising support outside of the church, I mean, we are also considering in Norville avenues within the church and global outreach how we might support them. And um, and while their heart is to not, uh, to uh, negatively impact our vision and direction as HPC, we would certainly say that above and beyond uh, your regular giving to HPC, to uh, the ministry here and to the general, above and beyond, uh, we would encourage you to consider uh, supporting them in their ministry. Let me pray for them. Father in heaven, we thank you for the way that you gift and call us, the way that you are building your church against the very gates of hell and that you are uh, doing works that often surprise us. And We thank you for Greg and Tricia and the passion and the gifts and the history and the experience that you have given them that uniquely suit them uh, to pursue this call. Uh, Father, would you bless them, put your hand upon them, your spirit within them, and as they press ahead over the coming year, that uh, we ask that you would provide, that you would raise the support that they need, that you would gather uh, this core team that they uh, would like to build a church around. Would you bless their uh, efforts and endeavors as they go to all of these different gatherings, that you would open doors, that you would give them favor in the eyes of those in whom they engage. Uh, Father, so many ways we know that you are able to go before us and to do what we could not even contemplate on our own. Do more than we could ask or imagine as you bless and prosper this mission, uh, this plant. We ask it and pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.